Great. Um, let me pray. Um, Father, thank you um, for those wonderful truths that we've been um, speaking about and praying about um, and singing about um, and enjoying together. And we thank you that um, those things that Isaiah said uh, 700 years before uh, came wonderfully true in Jesus uh, and that because of him that uh, we can know you, because of him we're forgiven, uh, because of him uh, we can speak to you. Uh, and we pray now that um, as, uh, as we look at your word uh, that you would um, move our hearts afresh um, at our Lord Jesus. Uh, please uh, be at work by your spirit among us um, and do us good today, Lord, uh, and bring yourself glory. Uh, please give us ears to hear and um, eyes to see um, and hearts uh, which are ready to be uh, moved. Um, and we pray it all for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, uh, Easter time, um, and a time when Christians um, think um, and celebrate, um, think about and celebrate um, the death of Jesus and his, and his resurrection. Um, and, um, yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful time, isn't it? It's a time when Christians uh, rejoice um, and are full of joy, even, even more so than, than Christmas, uh, because um, it's just such a wonderful, wonderful truth that, we, uh, that we're rehearsing, that we're, we're thinking about. But here's the question. Why would you celebrate somebody's death? Um, because um, at Easter, we're not just celebrating the, the resurrection. Yes, we are celebrating the resurrection. But, but Jesus' death for Christians isn't something that we sort of brush over on the way to the resurrection. We're celebrating Jesus' death. And so the question is, why would you do that? Because um, the sort of images and words that come to mind uh, when you think about um, Jesus' brutal death um, on a cross are things like shame um, and injustice uh, and horror and uh, blood and weakness and cruelty and uh, blackness and death. It's not exactly a, a message of hope, is it, when you think about all of those things? And at best, um, you think, well, it, it tells us that, that God knows how we feel in our sufferings, in our difficulties, at best. Um, and at worst, well, it shows us that even God can't do anything about the horrible state of his world because when he comes into it, he just ends up getting killed himself. So what hope does the death of Jesus offer to people like you and me in our situation here? What relevance does it have to people with, with burdens and struggles or to people who don't have burdens um, and struggles? What relevance would it have um, to this guy on this video? I'm going to show you, and if my um, technical skills up to now were uh, proof of anything, it's going to take about 20 minutes to get it set up. Oh, no. Okay, well, I don't know if uh, any of that resonated with, with you. Um, certainly, certainly did with me um, as, I was, as I was watching it um, through the week. Um, burdens, um, struggles... Um, secret thoughts, uh, sins that you're weighed down with, life, not all that it should be. Um, yeah, certainly resonated with me. Well, it would certainly have resonated with the guys that Isaiah was writing to, uh, writing this passage that we've, uh, that we've read already, uh, 700 years before Jesus came. Jesus came. Um, these guys um, that he's writing to, the people of Israel, were, were weighed down 
by their sin. They were, they were broken by their own inadequacy to be the people that God um, had called them to be. They'd failed completely. They'd had great thoughts, great dreams, great hopes, and yet they'd just failed in every way. Um, and they were being pressured on every side by their enemies. Um, and worst of all, God himself was about to rain down his anger on them. He was about to take them off uh, into exile. Uh, they, he was gonna, they were going to have their, their nation overrun by the countries uh, around them. And all of their hopes for the future were coming to nothing, just like that guy in the video. And maybe you know how that feels. Maybe you're failing to be the person that you should be. Maybe your life's full of, of burdens um, or guilt um, or secrets or, or, or pressures all around you. And you're screaming inside just like that guy was. Well, here's the thing. Here's the great news. God, in Isaiah, through Isaiah, the prophet, had a message of hope for the nation of Israel. He told it to the prophet Isaiah 700 years before Jesus. And Isaiah told the people and wrote it down so that it was recorded for them and for us. Um, and, and, and he tells us what that is in chapter 52, verse 10, this, this great message of hope. Uh, just look at it there, 52, verse 10. He says, uh, just before uh, the passage we're looking at, the Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm. God's arm in the Bible is, is his power, his power to save his people. And so this is a message of light in the darkness. It's, it's a message of rescue and, and salvation for Israel and for the whole world. God was going to come and sort them out himself. He was going to come and deal with their sin and bring them out of exile and back to himself. But the incredible thing is that that message is actually a message of hope, um, unbelievable as it might seem, a message of hope for us today in our burdens, in our struggles. It's a message of worldwide rescue and salvation meant for every single human being. It's a message of light in the darkness for every one of us here today. But what is it? What is this worldwide rescue plan? What is God's answer to the troubles and struggles of humanity, of people like that guy? Well, amazingly, it's not a cure for cancer. It's not a roadmap for, for world peace. It's not a program for self-improvement or financial security. It's not even a dating service. It's none of those things. God's answer to the troubles and struggles and failures of humanity is a humble, despised servant who will be cut off and killed. It's utterly absurd, but it's very, very wonderful. So let's have a look. Because the first thing that Isaiah has to tell us about this servant, and we've been looking at this servant for the last uh, four weeks. This is the fourth week looking at, looking at him and these songs about this servant that God is promising. Um, the first thing he has to tell us in this song, in this, this final fourth song, the climax was what a climax. This servant will be a sorrowful servant despised by the world. Come on. 
sorrowful servant despised by the world. You can see that in the first part, um, chapter 52, verse 13 to 53, 3. And it starts pretty well, like you might expect. He says, uh, see my servant, this, this person who's going to um, uh, save the world, who's going to be the way I'm going to save the world, he'll be raised, um, he'll act wisely. Uh, he'll be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. So this is going to be God's servant, the one he approves of, the one he sends, and he's going to be wise and successful. When it says he'll act wisely, it means he's going to succeed through wisdom. He's going to be exalted. He's going to be raised up. And yet, just look how it goes on. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness, so he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see and what they have not heard, they will understand. So it's clear, isn't it? He's going to do something great. Um, that's quite obvious, isn't it? Kings will shut their mouths because of him. He's going to do something great, but he's going to be something disgusting. That's what Isaiah says. People will turn away at the sight of this servant. He'll be like a, 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 a mangled car crash victim who just a, just a look at him makes your stomach turn. How is this going to be the way that God saves the world? That God sorts us out in our struggles and burdens. But it carries on. Um, look at chapter 53, verses 2 and 3. He grew up before him, before the Lord, like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Now it might be confusing, um, Isaiah is speaking um, uh, as if this servant has already come. He's speaking in the past tense. But he's actually talking about something that's going to happen um, in the future. And often God does that. Um, you'll, you'll find if you, if you read through the prophets, often that happens. God talks about things in the future as if they've already happened. And we said already, and, and it's an amazing thing that he does that. The reason that he does it is because to God, it's as if the future has already happened. God can speak about the future as if it's in the past because it's so sure, so certain to God. But just look what we find out about what this servant is going to be like. There'll be nothing attractive at all about this great servant who God's going to send to save the world. In fact, quite the opposite. Just look at verse 3. He'll be like one from whom men hide their faces. He'll be the, like, the kind of person that you, you, you turn your face away from in revulsion. It'll be like the, the kid in the class who, who stinks because he soiled his pants again. And no one wants to know him. No one wants to go near him. No one wants to speak to him. He'll be treated like the guy at work who's been sleeping with the wife of one of your other colleagues. People will shun him. People will despise him. They won't want anything to do with him. People will feel towards him what they'd feel towards a, a paedophile who's come back from prison and walks into the local pub. This servant is going to be treated like something 
that deserves to be spat upon and, and, and abused and got rid of. You see, do you know what it feels to be alone, to be rejected? Well, this servant will know more than anyone has ever known what it means to be rejected, what it means to be lonely, what it means to be hated, what it means to be opposed, what it means to be an outsider. And in the end, they'll kill him because he won't just be despised. Isaiah's clear, this servant is actually going to be murdered. He'll be an innocent servant cut off from the world. Just look at that in verses 7 to 9. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he'd done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. He'd done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. See, Isaiah is clear. This servant will be completely innocent. He'll be blameless. He'll, he'll be the only blameless man who's ever lived and yet he'll be killed like a common criminal. Verse 7, he'll be led like a lamb to the slaughter. Verse 8, he'll be taken away by oppression and judgment. Verse 8 again, he'll have no descendants. That, that was the, the worst curse if you were an Israelite, was to have no descendants. Verse 8 again, he'll be cut off from the land of the living. And verse 9, he'll be given a grave along with the wicked. This is going to be the greatest injustice in history. The, the sinless, guiltless, innocent servant, the only person like him who's ever lived, will be killed like the vilest offender. He'll be executed like the most horrible wrongdoer. It's horrendous. And yet, how's he going to respond? How will he resp respond to being treated like that? Well, as Isaiah tells us, he will say nothing. I'll just allow it to happen. Look at verse 7 again. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. It's just extraordinary, isn't it? He's going through this extraordinary injustice against him. He knows that he's innocent. He's going to have this abuse hurled at him. He's going to be taken off, led off to be killed. And yet he won't say a thing. He'll go willingly to his death. He'll do nothing to stop it happening. It's just amazing. It's incredible. Unbelievable. And yet really, you've got to believe it. Because this servant has happened. These things have happened. 700 years after Isaiah wrote this, the servant came. 
And how did they treat him? Well, exactly to the letter, as Isaiah said that they would all that time before. You see, history leaves us in no doubt that Isaiah's words here are a clear prophecy, a clear prediction about a man called Jesus of Nazareth. Because the accounts uh, within the Bible and the accounts outside the Bible all tell us that Jesus of Nazareth, he really was the sorrowful servant despised by the world, that he was the innocent servant cut off from the world. So let's do a bit of work. Where in the New Testament do we see that Jesus was the suffering servant despised by the world? Where do we see that in the New Testament? In Mark, very good, excellent. Learned a thing or two. Yeah, yeah, good. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, when um, Pilate released uh, one of his prisoners and they shouted murder and killed Jesus. Yep, yep. So they shout, they shout um, give, us, give us Barabbas and kill Jesus. Yep, so the crowd turns against him. He's completely rejected. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep, his friends reject him, run away, abandon him. The soldiers spit on him, don't they? they? They do exactly this. They spit on him. They strike him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They mock him, despise him. The crowd all shouted, didn't they? They shouted, crucify him. Yep. Yep. You can control things that you do, but you can't control things that other people do. And that's the extraordinary thing about this prophecy. 700 years before Jesus... It's prophesying things that will be done to him. Not things that he'll do, things that will be done to him. He couldn't fake that. Other people did it. God knew that that's what was going to happen. He was this uh, sorrowful servant, uh, despised by the world. What about the innocent servant cut off from the world? Where do we see that? Yep. And God gave Pilate's wife a dream, didn't he? Have nothing to do today with this innocent man. Um, yeah. So the, the, the trial was just a, a mockery um, on the cross. Yeah, which the cut off. Yeah. 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 Yeah, he was innocent and yet put on the cross, killed, got rid of, put in a grave along with wicked people with the criminals either side of him. Yeah. And again, it's things that are done to him. It's not things that he does. It's things that are done to him. It's just incredible. Uh, One of the reasons that I'm a Christian... (laughs) really is because of passages like these. When I see 
the way that God promises something 700 years before and it's fulfilled to the letter in the life of Jesus. So he could be no one other than this servant. He couldn't have faked it. It's clear. But the question is, what good could it possibly do? See, the, we said the cross of Jesus, his death, his, his trial, his whole life was, was predicted by God through Isaiah 700 years before um, in Isaiah, but also in many other places in the Bible. You can read Psalm 22, Psalm 69, um, loads of places which speak clearly of Jesus' death um, and resurrection. But what hope could it bring? Because as we said before, surely at best, it tells us that God knows what it feels like when we suffer, which is nice, but it doesn't really get us anywhere, does it? Um, and at worst, it tells us that our situation is hopeless. Because even when God himself comes into his world, we humans despise him and kill him. This looks like the end of hope, not the beginning. It looks like despair. And that's where this passage just waxes between the eyes. Because 700 years before Jesus, Isaiah didn't just prophesy that he would be despised and killed. He told us that his death won't mean that he's defeated. Exactly the opposite. His death will be the way he wins his victory and brings hope for us all. Because Jesus will be a servant who bears the sins of the world. Just look at verse four with me. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. You see, Jesus dying on a cross, it does look like defeat, doesn't it? Um, uh, uh, and particularly uh, as Jesus cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It looks like Jesus has been rejected by God. So it, it looks like Jesus is actually being punished by God for his own sin, for his own rebellion against God. God God's rejecting him, abandoning him, forsaking him. It looks like Jesus is just some worthless sinner who's getting what he deserves from God. But here's the extraordinary thing. He is being punished by God. He is being abandoned by God. He is being stricken and smitten and cut off by God. And he is being punished for sin. But not for his sin for hours. Just look at verses five and six. We considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isn't that amazing? He's being punished for our sin, for the sin of his people, 
and the sin of the whole world. It tells us two incredibly striking things, doesn't it? First, it tells us that that is how serious our sin is. That is how serious our personal rejection of God is. Our uh, living our way in God's world, our holding him at arm's length and saying, thanks very much for everything you've given me. Thanks very much for life, but I'm going to get on living my way in your world. That is so serious and horrible to God that he had to punish his own son in our place to deal with it. Our sin isn't a minor matter. It's huge. It matters so much that God gave his precious son to sort it out. It tells us how serious our sin is, but it also wonderfully tells us how much God loves us. Just think of that. God loves us in our brokenness, in our fallenness, in our shame, in our burdens, in our struggles. He loves us so much that he gave his own son to deal with our sin and to bring us back to him. See, we're more sinful than we dare admit, but we're more loved than we could ever possibly even slightly imagine. See, we're like sheep who've gone astray. We're just like that guy in the video. We've messed up our lives. Whatever we say we believe about God, we've lived our lives essentially like God didn't exist, like, like God was at best a bit part who, who we pray to sometimes to get us good things. We've lived like this world is actually all about us. And that's why our world, that's why our lives are in such a mess, because we've rejected God in God's world. And just like the people of Israel, we deserve God's anger and judgment. But here's the thing, on the cross, God let all of that anger, all of that judgment fall on this servant that he promised 700 years before, so that we can be forgiven. He was cut off so that we can come back to God. He was abandoned by God so that we can be with God forever. He was crushed so that we could be made whole. He was wounded so that we can be healed. It is completely outrageous. It's preposterous. And yet it's wonderful. It really is the greatest swap in history. But here's the climax. Here's the, 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 that wonderful, you know that moment in a song when suddenly you get to the chorus and it hits the high note and, and you, I don't know if you're musical, if you're musical like me, you'll get this, and you hit, it hits that high note and, you, and your heart wants to burst. Do you know that moment? When you, you've been waiting to build up in the song and suddenly, boom, you get to the chorus and you're like, wow! That's what this bit is in Isaiah. This last bit, these last three verses, 10 to 12, because they tell us he didn't just bear the sin of the world. Isaiah said this servant would be a servant who would beat the sin of the world and of you and me. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Just look at verse 10, the, this climax of this song. Yet it was the Lord's will 
to crush him. Isn't that incredible? It was God's will to crush Jesus and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. It was the Lord's will to crush him for us. But just look, he won't stay dead. He'll see his offspring, his, his spiritual offspring. He won't have any, any, any family descendants, but he'll have spiritual offspring in their millions. And he'll prolong his days. He's going to rise from the dead. He's going to beat death itself. He says it again in the next verse. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he'll bear their iniquities. He'll suffer. He'll die. But then he'll rise from the dead and he'll, and, and he'll see life. He'll be vindicated, like we were seeing last week. He'll be shown to the world, not to be somebody who was suffering for his own sin, but who was doing God's will in taking the place of sinners. And that's what we celebrate on Easter Day, isn't it? The, the, the glorious, physical, historical resurrection from the dead of Jesus, never to die again. The New Testament tells us that, Many people here can tell you today that this servant is alive and he's ruling over everything. But why? What's the result of that? Well, Isaiah tells us, and this is just great, many people from many nations, even in Boroughbridge, will be justified because of him. Just look at that again in, in, in the second half of verse 11. By his knowledge, top of page 741, by his knowledge or, or by knowledge of him, my righteous servant will justify many. Can you see what Isaiah is saying there? By knowing this servant, through knowing him, many people will be made right with God. Sinners from every nation will be treated by God now just as if they'd never sinned. Because that's what the word justify means. It's, it's, a, it's a technical word, you get it a lot in the Bible. Come across it again, justification, justified, justified, justifying, all those kind of things. But it just means something very simple. Justify, it means to be treated by God just as if I'd never sinned. Justify means if I'm justified, it means I'm treated by God just as if I'd never sinned. So when I'm justified with God, it means that when God looks at me, Christopher Delahoyd, when he looks at me, he doesn't see my sin anymore. He doesn't see my rejection of him and, and, and my rebellion against him and my, my, the horrible way that I've lived. He sees Jesus' perfect record instead. You see, that's what's on offer for anyone who puts their trust in the servant. That's what's on offer for the guy in the video. That's what's on offer for you today. For anyone who will put their trust in Jesus. Jesus is treated as they deserve, as you deserve. He's killed. He's condemned. He's cast off. He's um, punished. 
He's afflicted by God. He's pierced, he's wounded, he's treated like a traitor. And you are treated as he deserved, loved by God, just like you're innocent before him, accepted, brought near, part of the family, a child of God. See, I don't know where you are today with God. I don't know where you are with your life. But I do know what Jesus was doing on that cross 2,000 years ago. And that means that I know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, two incredibly important things about you. And the first is this. I know that whatever your situation is, there is a great hope for you. Because God has not abandoned you. He loves you. He's given his son so that whoever will turn to him can be his precious child. He hasn't given up on you. This is amazing. The God of the universe reveals his glory to the world, not first and foremost in shows of power and strength, but in giving himself in love so that we sinners can be rescued and restored to himself, so that lost sheep can be brought home. God hasn't abandoned you. There is great hope for you, whatever your situation. But the second thing that I know is that there is no hope anywhere other than in the cross of Jesus. There's no hope anywhere other than in the cross of Jesus, because there's no one other than Jesus who can fix the problem of your sin. And there is nothing which can sort out your brokenness other than Jesus. There is nothing you can turn to which will deal with your separation from God. See, the cross shows us in a horrible, stark and graphic way, we've seen it, haven't we, how serious our sin is, how deep our brokenness runs within us, how utterly separated we are from God, how much we deserve his anger and his judgment because it took God killing his own son in our place to deal with it. You see, if we could sort ourselves out, if we could deal with our problems in our lives ourselves, why would Jesus have gone through the cross? If we weren't heading from God for God's judgment, why would he have judged his son in our place? If our sin wasn't as serious and, and hateful and horrible to God as it is, why would he have crushed his own son instead of us to deal with it? But he did do those things. And that tells us that we are more sinful than we dare admit. We are in greater danger than we dare admit. But we are more loved by God than we ever dared hope because he gave his son for us. But here's the thing. We've got to make a choice. You see, as Isaiah says, just look at it there in verse 11. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. Or, or, what he's saying is, by knowing him, this righteous servant will justify many. It's people who know the servant who are made right with God through him. 
as the New Testament says, it's those who have faith, who have confidence in Jesus, who are saved. Trust in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, the New Testament says. You see, not everybody gets to profit from what this servant did. It's open to everybody. It's gloriously open to anybody who'll turn to him. But it is only open to those who'll trust him, who'll put their confidence in him. They're the people who'll be saved. Because you see, you still can choose to pay for your sin yourself. You still can choose to, to continue in your brokenness and in your burdens. You can carry on separated from God, weighed down by the things in your life, racked with guilt. You can die. You can do this. You can die without ever making peace with God. You can choose to face God's judgment on your own. And to do that is simple. All you have to do is choose not to trust in the cross of Jesus. All you have to do is just keep on trusting in yourself. Just walk away from here. Don't give it another thought. But that isn't what God wants you to do. That isn't what he gave his son for. That famous verse, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Why? So that whoever believes in him might not perish, but have eternal life. That's what God longs for for you. He wants to give you himself. He wants to lavish his forgiveness and his grace on you. He wants to give you life in all of its fullness. Life not weighed down by burdens, but knowing the King of Kings. Life not um, cut apart by guilt, but knowing forgiveness and joy. Life not centred on yourself and your problems, but centred on him. Life not living for petty things, but life lived knowing the God of the universe and forever. He wants to give you a share in the eternal life that his servants won for you. So I just want to say, please don't walk away from him today. Don't walk away from this servant. Choose life today. Choose this servant who's beaten sin, who's beaten death. Come and rise up from the grave and live. I'm going to just watch a, another video to finish with. That's the intention anyway.